I'm glad you've tuned in. This is part two of what we began last Sunday night. And so we began talking about Jesus as the Good Shepherd. And here in Matthew chapter 18, would you join me there again in your Bible, Matthew 18? Look at verse 10. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. Now remember, circle that in your Bible, that phrase, little ones. I say unto you, Jesus said, that in heaven, the angels of these little ones, these insignificant ones, these despised ones, these overlooked ones, these discounted ones, these disenfranchised ones, these little ones, he says, have angels in heaven who behold the face of the Father. Verse 11, for the Son of Man, Jesus referring to Himself, He said, I am come to save that which was lost. How think ye? In other words, he, he, he asks a rhetorical question. What do you think? If a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, does he not leave the ninety and nine, goeth into the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray? Well, obviously, he does. He will. And if so be that he find it. Verily I say unto you, he rejoices more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one, one of these little ones perish. So we began talking about, as we have gone through this chapter, beginning there in verse 1, in the introduction, we, Jesus calls out and note, notes the pride of the disciples. That they, they were discussing who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And then we talked about, he gives the, the, the picture of the child, uh, where Jesus called a child to himself and said, Hey, unless you're converted, unless you're changed and become like one of these little children, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. And then in verses 4 through 9, as we learned last week, uh, he gives us principles for the followers. Uh, he says that uh, uh, we are to stay humble and teachable like the little ones. He says in verse 5 that we're to receive the little ones. And then in verse 6, he says, don't ever, ever offend or cause one of these little ones to trip up. And so... Uh, here, as he launches out into this uh, little discussion about him being the good shepherd, I want us to focus on the good shepherd. And so last week, we just highlighted this one thought. Uh, Jesus gives us here the proper evaluation. The proper evaluation, that's in verses 10 and 14. And we talked about how much the human soul is worth Jesus' valuation that he put on the human soul. It's of esteemable value, we learned last week. And he says, be careful that you don't despise, that you don't treat as insignificant one of these little ones. But then he moves from verse 10 in talking about showing us the proper evaluation. Now, number two, he moves to the proper emulation, the proper emulation. That's what we're focused on for just a moment. Notice verse 11 in Matthew 18. Notice what kind of rescue model 
Jesus shows us. Uh, Verse 11, uh, Jesus reveals to us why He is so serious about these little ones. Why is it that these little ones, these insignificant ones, are so important to Him? It's interesting to me that the ones that the world, the ones that many churches, the ones that we as Christians are prone to ignore, that Jesus is the one, Jesus highlights them. We ignore them. Jesus values them. They're important to Jesus. We ignore them, but he elevates them and he says they are significant. Uh, he, he says, listen, the son of man, referring to himself, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. He recognizes the lost condition of every single person. Here in the context, in Matthew 18, he's already told us in verse 6 that the one lost refers to little ones who have been offended and sinned against. And then in verse 10, uh, he's referring uh, to ones who have been despised and diminished in value and importance. And he says, I want you to understand these are lost. Uh, uh, These are jewels that are lost, and I'm I'm going to hunt for them. I'm going to go after them. Jesus came to go after the very ones who have been hurt, sinned against, driven away, manipulated, misled, deceived, forsaken, and left in despair, left in darkness. And Jesus said, that's who I came after. Remember what He said, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. In Luke 19, verse 10, uh, there in the context where he's dealing with Zacchaeus and he finds Zacchaeus and, and he says, look, uh, that, 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 that I came, to, the Son of Man came to seek and to save. And we know that he didn't come to condemn, he came to save. In, in John 3, 17, for God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. The world's already condemned because of sin. But he said, God sent his Son so that the world through Him might be saved. Then in verse 12, He asks this rhetorical, logical question, and in doing so, He gives this illustration. Uh, So Jesus uses a natural and logical illustration in verse 12 to show Himself as the Good Shepherd. Notice what He says, How think ye? In other words, uh, isn't this the way you think? Isn't this logical? Isn't this natural? If a man have a hundred sheep, one goes astray, doesn't he leave the ninety and nine and go after the one that is lost? Well, sure. Uh, of course he does. You know, we'd say, duh, McFly. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes, that's logical to go after the one that is lost, to get them back to the fold. Any good-hearted, well-intentioned, conscientious, competent shepherd will go out to search for the one sheep that has wandered astray. Jesus says, I want you to understand my heart for the lost. I'm the good shepherd, but I not only possess this, I want you to do this. See, Jesus is the seeking shepherd. He's the rescuing redeemer. Notice that Jesus fulfilled this providentially, or prophetically, we would say. Notice with me how Jesus fulfilled this plan of redemption from eternity past. And brother and sister, do you not realize that is, that is the, the prime illustration, the ultimate illustration of someone going after the lost? Jesus Christ left heaven 
already determined in eternity past according to 1 Peter 1.20, foreordained before the foundation of the world to be the spotless sacrifice for our sins. There in Genesis 3, He is the same God who came looking and seeking for Adam when Adam had sinned and disobeyed and was on the run in the garden. It's the same God that in Genesis 4.4, in the fullness of time, He entered into this world. It's the same God in John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and now we were able to behold the glory of the everlasting, only begotten Son of God. Why? Because God came down. God came near. God came looking for us. God came searching. God came and made up the difference when we would not have sought Him and we couldn't span the chasm, we wouldn't have spanned the chasm. But He did. In the great plan of redemption, all praise His glorious name. But He not only fulfilled this providentially, think with me, notice with me, ladies and gentlemen, just a moment, think with me how He fulfilled this personally. In your life and mine, Think with me just a second. How was it that Jesus got you to Him? Think about all the steps that He took. All we have to do is do a little backtracking just a little bit. Trace the steps that the Lord orchestrated to get us to Himself and to draw us to Himself. You see, I was saved on February the 27th, 1983. But I know long before I was ever saved that Jesus was at work in my world, in my life. Arranging circumstances, getting me to Himself. It was the, the culmination of all the things that He had set in motion to bring me to Himself. And this is the same model, ladies and gentlemen, that He wants us to emulate, that He wants us to imitate. He wants us to copy. We are to pursue the lost sheep just as He has done. I want to ask you before we go any further, do you know any lost sheep? Do you know anybody that's lost? You see, He gives us the proper evaluation in verse 10, verse 14. Here in verses 11 and 12, He gives us the proper emulation he, the good shepherd, goes after the lost sheep. We, as his followers, should go after the lost sheep. Who are you going after? Who's on your prayer list to be saved? Who are you witnessing to right now? Who are you involved with right now in a, a, a gospel conversation to lead them to Jesus and win them to Jesus? So then I close with this tonight. We had focused on the proper evaluation. We focused on the proper emulation. But then Jesus puts our focus on the proper exaltation. And I love this. Think with me. Look at verse 13 in your Bible. What should our response be when someone is rescued? I love this. Verse 13. And if it be so, that he find it when the shepherd goes and finds the lost sheep? Verily I say unto you, he rejoices more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. 
He rejoices. He celebrates. Can I say it this way? He throws a party. He gets happy. He acts a little cray-cray. He celebrates and rejoices. Cries, laughs, shouts. Because the one lost sheep was found. Oh, dear one, when you think about the value of a soul and you think about the great rescue mission that Jesus conducted for us, and when we see a soul redeemed and rescued and all heaven rejoices, there's joy and celebration in the midst of heaven, in the midst of the angels. Jesus' statement here, it's only logical that we rejoice and celebrate. When that one lost sheep is found, there's great rejoicing, certainly on the part of the shepherd. More so in that one moment than over the 99 sheep who didn't wander off. Now think with me just a second. <laughs> Notice the things we celebrate. We celebrate a lot of things. Legitimate things, good things, wholesome things. Birthdays, retirements, sports victories. We have parades for teams that win. We have celebrations over gender reveal parties. Things like that. Pink balloons, red balloons, pink confetti. Did I say red? I meant blue. Pink and blue. This colored cake, that colored cake. And that's okay. That's cool. All that's great, glorious, wonderful. Celebrating something that's worthy. The birth of a child. The expectation of a birth of a child. When the child enters the world, we celebrate. Facebook picture. When a kid graduates, me and Aaron just went through this with Big A. He, man, oh, I'm so proud. We celebrated that. But it's almost like we go overboard sometimes celebrating these things. But when a lost, damnable, hell-bound, hell-deserving sinner repents of their sin and is rescued by grace, and the average Christian, the average local church, it barely gets, gets a holy grunt. Ho-hum! That's the approach. God forbid anybody clap for that. We look at them like they're strange. <laughs> we don't clap. We don't clap in church. That's bringing glory to man. Okay, whatever. <laughs> we'll celebrate somehow. <laughs> Smile at least. <laughs> Throw a hymn book up in the air. <laughs> Throw a sh your shoe up. Do something. Raise your hand and give glory to God. I said four years ago, I believe, I had gone to the Burlington camp meeting. <laughs> the tent meeting that was going on in Burlington for week after week after week after week. Hundreds, if not thousands, were saved. I went one night. I remember coming back to our church and standing up on a Sunday morning, and I shared with, how, I shared with our people how I witnessed uh, individuals walking the aisle, getting saved, and their friend, their family, their parent, their sibling, their child was there, and their child rejoicing, their dad rejoicing, and even I saw some who took off running down the aisle, shouting and rejoicing that their loved one got saved. And I remember making this statement, and I'll reiterate it again tonight. 
buddy boy, if there's anything to run over and anything to jump over and anything to shout over and we go crazy like a bunch of Comanche Indians when it comes to ball or this and that, but listen carefully, dear friend. Don't you know the heart of Jesus rejoices when one person, one of the little ones gets saved, one of the insignificant gets saved. Heaven throws a party. Why don't we, why don't we, why don't we act like that it's as big a deal as it is? We minimize it. We don't even, we don't even, man, we don't celebrate what heaven celebrates. We celebrate what we want to celebrate. May God help me. May God help our church. May God help every believer who's listening tonight to get excited about the things that excite Jesus. To get passionate about what Jesus is passionate about. He doesn't give a holy rip about Carolina, Duke, State, East Carolina. Who gives a flip on the other side of heaven? Nobody. It doesn't affect hell. It doesn't affect heaven. He didn't come and die for that. But He did come to die and shed His life's blood to redeem sinners. Let's get back to rejoicing. Let's get back to prioritizing the redemption of man. Seeing people saved. Reconciled with the Father. That's what causes heaven to rejoice. Let me give you the takeaway and then we're going to pray. Would you join with me? Will you join with me in this prayer as we close? And here's the prayer. Lord, please, number one, enable me to properly value every single soul. Every soul. Number two, Lord, please enable me to actively and prayerfully re-energize and re-engage in your rescue mission. Third, Please enable me to celebrate the things that heaven celebrates and the things that make your heart rejoice. Will you join with me and pray that prayer tonight, dear church family? Father, in Jesus' name, we lift our voices to you. And I ask you, first of all, to help me prioritize the worth of the soul. Help me to prioritize your rescue mission and to actively engage in it and help me to celebrate what you celebrate, and that's the redemption of man. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you.